and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, where we explore pervasive and emerging technologies and their influence and impact on society. In this series, we upload direct to you information, opinions, and insights from thought leaders, experts, and creatives from Austin and beyond. They'll share their perspectives through conversations, interviews, debates, discussion, and more. I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'm Barbary. And we co-produce the Upload for the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. Hello and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload. I'm your host, John Lockman, and with me I have longtime friend and former managing director of the Austin Forum, Huli. Today she is a co-organizer at the Austin Design Jam and faculty member for General Assembly. Hello, it is so exciting to be back. Also with me today we have Alex Zub, co-founder and head of tech at Handsome. Hello, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on today. I met Alex uh, earlier this year, and he started to tell me a little bit about a concept called design thinking. Alex, what is design thinking? Uh, sure. Um, I, I kind of like conversations about design thinking and human-centered design because everybody has slightly different understanding and opinions of what it is. I think the most cohesive overall description of what it is Design thinking is a process for creative problem solving. That's kind of captures in essence what design thinking is. One other part of design thinking that I find really interesting is connection of the uh, three components, essentially. A component of desirability, so that's how, how much the user wants to use something. The component of feasibility, is it possible to achieve or is it possible to deliver this thing that the a user a human you know a person wants and you know something that delivers value to them and then the third component is viability is that actually viable is that sustainable is that something can be uh, in our world a, a, a business that can be sustained or can it be a nonprofit that will be sustained through you know other means so that is the other side of it that I find really interesting and really essential to any sort of problem. So essentially, we try to find creative solutions to problem by connecting those three components together. That's a good background on what the design thinking concept is. How did you get into design thinking? Where did you start in here? My career in technology and software development started as a software engineer, as a freelancer, essentially. So um, born and raised in Siberia. Uh, there's very few technology companies you can work for and do really impactful work at. And so the career path for many engineers is to be a freelancer and find a, find a client, find uh, clients or a, a kind of a, a consistent um, full-time employment for a company that is um, in Europe or in the U.S. That's actually a very common story for quite a lot of countries around the world. And uh, that's how it started. So for me, most of what I had to deal with back then was taking a design deliverable, something finished that was kind of thrown over the fence that I had to uh, just receive this, you know, Photoshop PSD file that I had to turn into essentially a working website and then start working on actually turning that into, into something real, into something that actually works. And so every engineer that goes through that has at some point, you know, at some point gets the realization that some of those decisions, uh, whether it's decisions around kind of visual things, decisions around the experience side of things and the UX, or decisions about the product overall and the concept and like, what is that thing that you're working on? At some point, every engineer, regardless of where you are, uh, starts to wonder, right? Well, you know, 
where did this come from? What was the process like together? And um, how can I contribute into that process? And what's 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 the best thing can I do as a technologist, as an engineer to to help? And uh, I'm sure every single engineer uh, had been in a situation when something was designed and to touch on the previous point of desirability, something was designed as something that looks desirable, but then you get to work on it and you realize that the feasibility of it from pure technical implementation standpoint is pretty challenging. And at the start of my career, my natural tendency was to actually start collaborating with designers and try to learn what the designers do uh, and try to um, kind of understand and build this empathy um, so that I can understand how I can help them in making certain decisions and certain calls that improve or increase the feasibility of the concepts or the, you know, essentially features and functions of products that we were designing together. So fast forward to now at Handsome. Handsome is a design and technology agency based here in Austin. Uh, We're working on quite a lot of digital products, digital brands. We connect those three points. We connect desirability, viability, and feasibility. You know, myself essentially being an engineer um, in, in heart and leading a team of engineers and having um, discovered the world of design, one of my goals and one of my principles is to always make sure technologists and engineers collaborate with designers and vice versa to achieve the best combination of desirability, feasibility, viability in, in any products or any sort of challenges that we are trying to, to solve. I appreciate you bringing up empathy because that's so key to anyone working in human-centered design that uh, we have to put the human being, whether it's the customer or a coworker or whoever our relationship is with, in the center of the solution. And I know that when we work with students, part of what we expect them to know before they can come into the UX space is basic HTML and CSS and JavaScript, not necessarily because we'll be asking them to be building elements, but because we want them to be able to speak to the developers and understand the challenges that developers face and understand how to communicate with them more effectively. And I saw your Medium article on how engineers can be the best designers. And after after I was done being <laughs> being proud of being a designer, um, I thought, you know, there really is something to that. There's something really rich and powerful about having the individuals who are really the ones who are going to be manifesting this in reality to have a little background in design thinking, to have to share part of that journey. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what you think what you think design adds to the development process and adds to the products that your developers are delivering. Sure, yeah. So I also love that you brought up the point of empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, empathy is really one of the core concepts that is sometimes is foreign to a lot of engineers, and um, it's it's kind of it's obvious from one you know from one mm-hmm. uh, point of view, but it's not something that comes naturally to just realizing that this is actually a core component of designing something for humans or collaborating with other humans. I mean, empathy is really the the component, the catalyst that makes it really Mm -hmm. effective. So the concept of empathy, which I think 
can truly only be learned through practice. Actually, well, for, for engineers to actually be in the user interviews, for engineers to actually be there when uh, we talk to our client, when we talk to the customers of the product, when we, when, we, uh, when we go out there and try to understand the problem, for engineers to be there is a, such an eye-opening experience that they start to understand the value of empathy. So that's one of the things that I, I, I quickly realized that makes a, such a big difference. And understanding of empathy does not just help engineers help designers in uh, kind of collaborating, building the better product, but it just in general makes them better team members. That's such an important soft skill. Mm-hmm. So empathy is one of the core components of what I consider a successful team member, in our case, successful engineer, needs to have a, a member of an effective collaborating team. Well, as you talk about what's happening at Hansom and and the necessity for cross-functional work, the necessity of these teams collaborating with one another, what do you think is the most important thing for engineers to know about design and what's the most important thing for designers to know about developers? Trying, kind of to the point of empathy, trying to step into the other person's shoes. Like very often, engineers and designers are considered opposite. Yes. Which is kind of, in a way, makes people think that it's natural to create this waterfall kind of uh, process where a designer will go in the, in the room and will create something and then it will get delivered through a certain path or through a certain way to an engineer who can be, you know, um, in their own room trying to work on this thing with no other communication in between. And that's that's um, obviously not something that had proven to be successful overall in our industry, uh, which is why the Agile has become more and more popular. Back to your question, what is the one thing that makes the most uh, sense for engineers to understand about design and for designers to understand about engineering? I don't know if there's one thing, really. Mm-hmm. Um we are a services business. We approach things a certain way. We have our methodology. Our methodology slightly changes for every product we are working on, for every client we are working with. So it is really essential for the for our engineers to see the really the diversity of different ways we approach things from a design perspective, which kind of opens their eyes to understanding there's actually quite a lot of thought and quite a lot of things that have happened in order to produce this concept, which results essentially in, you know, user stories and uh, a visual design. Now, from design perspective, I really like your point about designers actually learning basic HTML and CSS Mm -hmm. and uh, some basic JavaScript understanding how things work. For designers just to understand what the development process looks like to begin with is really helpful. And I think, again, it depends on what kind of environment it is. And if it's a um, product, there is probably a certain very specific path or approach or framework that developers are uh, using to approach their work in general. And so exposing that to designers is super helpful. So we, you know, many companies like to use different, for example, project management tools for design mm-hmm. and for development. And then there's a connection, you know, project manager is kind of the connection point between the two. Whereas c- trying to bridge the gap and actually bring both designers and developers into the same tool that can support workflows of 
the whole team and really designer, designers and developers needs to be considered the same team will expose a lot of that information, which helps developers see the path through which any given task in the backlog, you know, where it came mm-hmm. from. And for designer, it helps designers understand. So something that they've put together, where does it go and where some gaps are? And then through retrospective sessions and just reflecting on things, this additional exposure can help the team be more efficient overall. Right. It sounds like if people understand everybody's position in a project, they have a better idea of what folks are doing from the design aspect or what the engineer has to do from the coding aspect or what the project manager has to do. If everybody has a larger picture, it kind of creates that environment where you can have better efficiencies, where people can see where there's gaps and fill them in, you know, wherever they might need to. It sounds like this is something that you might also apply outside of work. I think you told me that you you do uh, kind of this design thinking principle, uh, even with your family. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's, that's kind of interesting. And uh, some people told me I'm crazy for trying to add what I think is just helpful, helpful structures into organizing uh, family life. Uh, we've Two years ago, we've had a kid. In a few months, we're going to have a second uh, oh, baby. Congratulations. Uh, thanks, thanks. And so that, that adds the complexity into our real like relationship between me and my wife, relationship between uh, both of us and our kid, relationship with our relatives, relationship with our friends. Everything had changed so much that things are not as simple as when it was just two of us and we had all the time we had and you know no you know very little responsibilities from that perspective and so just the addition of those responsibilities made us approach that challenge with you know trying to come up with creative solutions to challenges that we have and so one of the methodologies that are used in uh, design thinking is called affinity mapping. First, you get some post-its. Right. <laughs> right. Well, let's, let's, I guess let's describe what it is. Yeah. 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 Um, affinity mapping is fantastic. It's, it's based on actual research, talking to human beings who have lived experience in what you're dealing with. So it's not making assumptions about what other people think. It's not thinking you know best. It's asking the person to put their needs in their own words, whether it's a family member or maybe it's a developer on your team who's having difficulty understanding someone's annotations because they're terrible and they're badly written. Um, So you get that person's experience and then you start to start to divide it up and then you can talk to another person and you can talk to another person if you want to and you can begin to identify patterns and say well these people feel this way about deadlines and these people love the sound that deadlines make as they pass them by and don't pay any attention to them and that gives you something real to dig down into rather than putting two people in a room and saying you need to get along better on this team. You're actually dealing with facts that people have reported. Does that capture what you're trying to do with your family? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really, to me, so there's a couple of things there. One of the core concepts along the lines of what you mentioned is you're, you are not the user. Right. You're not the user. You should not be assuming things, which is what happens so much in everywhere. I mean, the yes. the the 
real problems or issues in our personal lives, in our work lives, usually don't come from any technical things per se, as they most of them come from communication. And most of them come from people not necessarily listening to each other as much as they should or not processing it as much. And in the pace of the world at which we are kind of going, and it's always really fast, and it's always we have like little moments to talk about something, usually retro, retrospectively or like reacting to things, uh, more so than proactively planning things and listening to each other. So the component of... Uh, kind of sticking to the rule of you're not the user is one of the core components that we are applying in our team, in our um, activities, um, when we're working on products that I also thought makes the most sense to apply in family because it's, it's, it's just so easy to assume and it's actually a lot more difficult to slow down and create an environment for the family members to express in, in in this case in the form of a sticky note or writing down something on a sticky note in, in, in their own pace. The other core component of it is what I like to think of is making every voice be equal in the room. So again, in the verbal conversations, typically there's the person who is the loudest in the room. There's the person that kind of takes the room and kind of drives the whole thing. But this person is not always the most smart or the most knowledgeable person and so the activities that are so much used in design thinking which are silent activities we all sit down we have sticky notes we have uh, sharpies or pens and we have some sort of of direction or some sort of goal some sort of question or challenge we may or may not have some structure in which we need to write down the our thoughts as they relate to this challenge and, you know, we spend the next 15, 25, 35, hour and a half, whatever it is, silent, writing things down, going from one area of challenge to the other area of challenge with a really facilitator helping through, going through those things. So in my family, you know, we, we try uh, to make sure we always have the time where we can slow down, sit down, we figure out the... Um, childcare solution for a kid. We like have a half day allocated, and then we start thinking about the year ahead. And we sit down. We have some sort of framework. Usually, it's a few categories: financial, health, relationships, uh, a few more things. And then silently, we are starting to write things down on on sticky notes, which is pretty incredible because that's really where you have the time to think about it and reflect and you are not constrained by the factor of the loudest voice or somebody who is like really providing an equal landscape for everyone to contribute A, 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 a couple more things that are also very common in design thinking practice is the component of curiosity in asking why Mm-hmm. not being defensive about things uh, and not being protective of something and, and also not necessarily avoiding to be looking like you don't really know what, what this other person is talking about. Being free to ask why gives you a lot of power, just like it gives a lot of power to designers when they talk to users, mm-hmm. just like it gives a lot of power to technologists when they talk to a designer to, uh, to ask about certain things so that the technologists and engineers can understand and uh, build the right thing in, in applying in the family. Anything that the other person had exposed and shared, asking why we make this a role, it's 
you, you, you need to ask why. Otherwise, we make our own conclusions. We make our own... Mm-hmm. We um, fill in the blanks. Right. We fill mm-hmm. in the blanks where they are not necessarily right. You know, one of the core components of design thinking is you're really not trying to stay on the surface. You're trying to understand mm-hmm. the underlying emotion, needs, right. desires. And, you know, a lot of that does go towards the, like, on the emotional level. And a lot of that goes towards the, like, necessities. The most common example that people bring up is, you know, you don't, a person doesn't want to get in the car and start the car and drive somewhere in the park it and get out of the car. They want just to get from point A to point B most of the time. Mm-hmm. The car is irrelevant. And so, but there may be something deeper. The reason they want to get from point A to point B might be something completely different and there's some sort of need or some sort of desire behind it. And so there may be a different solution to that need or desire that may not include a car or a transportation method at all. Mm -hmm. And maybe you don't need to get anywhere to fulfill the same need. That's where applying the, the, the why, uh, the, the like nine layers of why and trying to get to the core of things is something that is essential in this component of human-centered design and design thinking that we try to apply in, in our family as well. What was powerful about what you say, you mentioned the, the nine layers of why and how, how valuable that can be to getting to the real job to be done. What's, what's the real job to be done here? Is it to get this child to a safe environment where they can spend the day and we don't have to worry while we're at work? Or is it to get the child to uh, you know this particular address by this time? You've got different problems that you're trying to solve. And so often, especially in business, we, we tend to have our shorthand and we conflate uh, problems with one another. And we find one team is working on solving this problem and one thing is one team is working on solving another problem and yet they both think they're solving the same problem uh-huh. and when they get to a point that they delivered their solutions and realize they look nothing alike then there's stress there there's uh, additional expense to the business there's lost time there's lost opportunity so this idea of curiosity and empathy as touchy feely as it sounds uh-huh. By bringing that into your engineering and development world uh, is extraordinarily powerful and and efficient, really. Yeah. It, it may not sound like an uh, on front, but like, can you talk about how that works at Handsome? Yeah, yeah. And efficiency is really one of the biggest concerns. If you get a developer to join design activities, if a developer spends eight hours a day for three days straight, not writing a single line of code. Is mm-hmm. that efficient? That, that's one of the hardest parts about engineering at all. You cannot, you obviously cannot measure the effectiveness of any given um, you know, developer or of an organization, but counting the lines of code. That's right. That's mm-hmm. something that nobody would want to do. Um, and if you do, then you know things are get really messed up really quickly. And so it quickly bubbles up to the value that the whole team delivers as it relates to this product, to this service, to this company. That's where it becomes really difficult because you cannot really apply any individual KPIs to any individual team members in this case. And so when we think about the output and the real value, uh, it's really irrelevant how much code was written if 
this code was not solving the real problem or was not really delivering the value. I really like the definition of design that is that goes like this. Design is a rendering of intent. And so poor design in this case can come from a bad job done at defining the intent and and then poor design can come from a bad job actually rendering that intent or executing that, right? And so those two parts, to some extent, map out to design and development. You know, designers are there to define the intent. And uh, the design practice is there to define the right intent, the right problem to solve for the people for whom you want to solve it for. And designers are there to render that intent into something that can actually be used by, by people, by humans. And so what, what I found interesting is actually overlaying those two things where technologists and engineers start thinking about the intent and then the designers start thinking about the rendering of that intent just overall improves the results. So your developer may not be writing code as much but what if that results in actually a better solution? What if that results in when the technologist is in the room with designers, if that the, the people in the room were able to come up with a better solution? Does it at this point even matter that the developer was not able to um, stand up AWS environment and write out the authentication component in those three days and instead they, you know, they helped define a better solution? So when we think about design thinking, it, it's really a framework that every part of an organization can use. It doesn't need to be uh, a creative. It doesn't need to be someone who's, who's front lines with customers. It can really be applied to solve problems everywhere. And I'd love to hear about how you use design thinking as a way to facilitate collaboration between designers, developers, and and anybody else who's in the mix, product managers, um, so that you're ultimately delivering a stronger product. Right. I think in, in the uh, when the goal is to create the best product possible from all perspectives, we definitely want the different people and the diverse set of people to be collaborating. Um, if you look at the Agile Manifesto that was published on... Uh, if I remember correctly, AgileManifesto.com back in 2001, one of the points you'll see there um, is saying business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project, which is kind of interesting. Um, we turn biz- business people and developers, this, um, this kind of coupling into really anybody who in any way is relevant to this product or participate in creating this product, or will be using this product, essentially the user and co-creating with the user, any of those people, we need to find opportunities to get them in the room to work together. I think that's where our liberating structures play a big role. Getting a diverse set of people who may be very different, who have a very different ways to approach things, to collaborate, to share things, to share their learnings, and um, to essentially to eventually arrive at a uh, the best solution possible is really important and really critical. What I found really interesting in um, when I look at collaboration between designers and developers, developers typically have a very 
engineering systems thinking mindset. Uh, whereas designers typically come from a little bit more of a creative background and um, from, uh, from a little bit more of a visual approach to things. Both are equally important. What's interesting is you can put those people together in the room and they will complement each other, creating the environment for designers and developers to work together, um, which we like to call everybody in that room designers. As soon as you get the room to solve any kind of problem, you are a designer. And so applying a number of methodologies and principles that are part of design thinking and human-centered design lets us put very different people in the room and let them build the empathy with each other, let them build the empathy with the humans for whom a product or solution is getting built and uh, make it happen. There's the concept going around of the 10x developer, the single person who can do 10 times that of those of other folks. The unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) You You have a kind of a different opinion on that. Tell me what you think about the 10x developer. To me, 10x developer is the developer that can produce the right solution to the problem, period. Um, it may mean you have to create so many more lines of code, but m- most, most often, more likely, it means being creative about things, approaching problems in a slightly different way, in a slightly more creative way, where the solution to a problem may require you to code this new component it may require you to take something off the shelf and integrate it, it into your system, or it may not require a single line of code, or it may not require any technology at all. Maybe the problem you're trying to solve is not a problem at all, and you should be solving a different problem. So to me, a 10x developer is somebody who can leverage that thinking and really uh, get to the why of things. Really a more a more rounded developer, not right. not lines of code, but ability to span all of those different responsibilities and categories and, and right. silos in, in a sense. Right. And it's it's often referred to as a T-shaped professional. I've heard somebody say rake-shaped professional, which is kind of interesting. So you have a main specialization and then you have a number of things that the person had kind of dip their toes in and have a somewhat good understanding, but is not necessarily professional, but that gives them an ability to collaborate with the other people. So a 10x developer does not have to be a full-on designer. They should not be, they don't have to, they don't have to be the professionals or the masters of the design toolkit that the designers would use to understand the problem, understand the users and come up with solutions but they understand it enough to uh, be dangerous <laughs> to work with those designers and to collaboratively as a team arrive at best solutions. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming today on the Austin Forum. And thank you, Huli, for coming back to co-host with me. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.